0: You are now listening to the January 18th broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have Biblical Stewardship, Grace Upon Grace, and Refining Faith. First, let's begin with Biblical Stewardship.
1: Hello everyone, it's Brian Winston from Biblical Stewardship. Last time, we looked into Luke chapter 19, verses 12 through 15, and learned about what Jesus wanted to tell his disciples through the parable. Now, Jesus will enter Jerusalem to do his final ministry and leave. The disciples were expecting God's kingdom to come and for Jesus to ascend as the new king of the Jews. However, Jesus told them that the time has not yet come and that it will take a while. Now during that time, He told His disciples to do His work and this was told through the parable. What did Jesus want His disciples to do? While Jesus would be away to receive His kingship, He entrusted meanas to them. Through the minas, He wanted them to look for the lost and save them, which was the purpose of why Jesus came to this earth. Jesus wanted them to do this ministry until He returned. Jesus' parable didn't just apply to the disciples of that time, but to all of Jesus' disciples living here on earth until His return. This means it applies to you and me. Therefore, the business we have to do here on earth is the business the Lord entrusted us with, which is to save the lost souls. Last time, at the end of the session, I recommended for you to read Luke chapter 9, verses 16 through 25, to see what happened to a person who managed the business well and the person who didn't manage it well. Were you able to find the answer? Should we look at it together? Let's read Luke chapter 19, verses 6 through 25 together. The first appeared saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing You are to be an authority over ten cities. The second came, saying, Your mina, master, has made five minas. And he said to him also, And you are to be over five cities. Another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I kept away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down, and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, By your own words I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down, and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. Then he said to the bystanders, Take the mina away from him, and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. Now in Jesus' parable, the master gave his slaves a reward. Among the three slaves, who received the greatest reward? Yes, it was the first slave who made ten minas with one. He was given authority over 10 cities by the master. The second slave also received a reward. Why do you think they received a reward? Do you think it's because they left a profit? Then what about the slave who didn't receive a reward? Was he rebuked because he didn't leave a profit? No, that's not it. To us, it may be important whether one left a profit or not. However, look again at what the master tells the slaves. The master doesn't evaluate them on whether they left a profit or not. The master said this to the slaves, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. Yes, the master was looking at their faithfulness. He was seeing if the slave was faithful to his word or not. Listen to what the master says to the slave who was rebuked. By your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. The evil slave misunderstood the master. He thought the master wanted a profit. The slave was afraid that he would get punished and the master would get angry if he misused the minas or made a loss with the minas he was entrusted with. Therefore, he wrapped the minas as is and returned it to the master. The master called him an evil slave. Then he said, If you were mistaken that I was a master only seeking profit, then why did you not put my money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. This is the meaning of the master's word. When I entrusted the menis to the slaves, I expected you to be faithful to my order to put it to work. If you were faithful, the amount of profit you left is not important. If you were faithful, you would have made a profit. You had to pay attention to being faithful to my word. From the parable, Jesus is the master and the slaves were the disciples of that time and also all Christians afterwards. What do you think Jesus wants from us? Do you think he wants us to make a profit for the kingdom of God? Can you really make a profit for God's kingdom? There's nothing we can do for the kingdom of God. It's because God is working for his kingdom. What we can do is be faithful to his command. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2 says, Those who have been given a trust must prove that they are faithful. Also, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says Jesus considered him faithful and put him into service. Let's summarize. Jesus, who would now end his ministry here on earth, told the disciples a parable to tell them about the purpose of why he came Which was to look for the lost and save them. Through this parable, Jesus is asking his disciples to look for the lost and save them until he returns with the things that have been entrusted to them. He wanted them to be faithful in his work. Jesus is the one who saves and not the disciples. What the disciples need to do is to be faithful. Whether they leave five minas or ten minas, the important thing is to be faithful. When one is faithful, there will be a remnant. The unfaithful slave, who didn't use the minas that was entrusted to him, got rebuked, and the minas was taken away. If you understood Jesus' parable, then I have a question for you. Where and how... Are you using your possessions, such as money and wealth? Do you think you are responsible for using your entrusted money and wealth well? As we confessed from the first session, if God gave us everything we have, then as ones who have been entrusted with these things, what do you think you should be faithful in? If you are faithful What do you think will happen when Jesus returns or when we leave this world to go and meet him? If you are not faithful, what do you think will happen then? We already know the answer from the parable in Luke chapter 19. Do not think that Jesus' word doesn't relate to you. Jesus' word must be applied to each and every one of us. How obsessed are we with the things of the world? We say that everything comes from God, but there are times when we think that our intelligence, ability, and effort made us earn, gain, and accumulate things. However, we are only stewards who manage the things God had intended to give us. Whether we're rich or poor, we have the duty to explain to God what we did in this world with the things we have. The Bible says that all of us will stand before Christ's judgment one day. At that time, we will explain the works we did. We will receive the calling to explain what we did with the life, ability, wealth, and time that was given to us. Our only opportunity to serve God is right now living here on earth afterwards we will not have that opportunity we won't have time or money in heaven most of all there won't be lost souls to find and lead therefore we won't have the opportunity to serve the lord when we go to heaven i hope this important truth will awaken you i hope your spiritual eyes will open and you will know that our savior wants you to be faithful here on earth. What we do here on earth will determine our eternal reward and punishment. As we end biblical stewardship, I would like to read Revelation chapter 22 verse 12. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. I'll see you next week on Biblical Stewardship. Goodbye.
2: ever satisfied through every trial my soul will see no turning back I've been set free Christ turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the one behind me, no turning back, no turning back. The cross before
0: next is a sermon by Pastor Bill Milter of Arizona Community Church. Today's topic is Why God Wants Us to Pray. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Bill.
3: Um, How prayer works and why it matters. So it's a perfect time to be here. Last week, we kicked off the sermon series by asking this question right here, Why does God even ask us to pray? I mean, specifically, why does God ask us to pray if he is all-sufficient and can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and he doesn't need help from anyone? I mean, this is the God of the Bible. He is an all-sufficient God that can do whatever he wants. He doesn't need help from anyone. Then why in the world does he ask us to pray? And the short answer from last week, if you missed it, is this. Prayer is God's way of allowing believers to participate in the eternal Yeah, God's got a plan for world history, but he invites you and I to participate in that plan. Otherwise, we would spend our lives laboring for temporal kingdoms that would not last. And trust me, you couldn't say, this is the day the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. You could not be glad if you knew that your life was going to be spent investing in kingdoms that weren't going to last. There's no joy in that, but there is joy in knowing that God says, come, join me in building my kingdom. And we do that primarily through prayer. Prayer, when we seek and we ask God, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's one of the key ways that we help advance God's kingdom. The greatest builder on the greatest building project in all of human history has invited you and me to join him in advancing his kingdom. And it is through prayer that we do that. But listen, this isn't the only reason that God invites us to pray. There are other important reasons why God wants us to be a praying people. And one of those reasons has everything to do with what God wants us to learn about him. That's right. God wants you and I to grow in our understanding of him. And there's a lot of ways that we can grow in our understanding of God. But one of the primary ways that we will grow in our understanding of God is is as we seek him in prayer. As we seek him in prayer. So let me tell you what I'm talking about here. Matthew 6, 8 says this, For your father knows what you need before you ask him. That's a great verse, isn't it? That's a reassuring verse. It is a very reassuring verse. Your father knows what you need even before you ask him. So even before you pray, God already knows what you need. But that raises an interesting question. If God already knows what we need even before we ask him, then why doesn't he just give it to us without us asking him? I mean, it sounds such, so much more simple, right? Let's streamline this process. Why didn't God streamline this process? God, just give me what I need. Even before I know that I need it, you know that I need it, so just give it to me. The answer to this question, folks, can only be understood when we realize what God wants to do in us. What God wants to do in us is to create a people who walk daily with the Lord in humble, dependent, childlike faith. See, God wants to produce in you the exact opposite of what your flesh wants to do. Your flesh wants to be self-dependent. Your flesh wants to be proud. Your flesh wants to be the one that does everything, provides everything, gets the job done, right? Does that sound familiar? Who doesn't want to be like that? That's our flesh. But God is often working exactly opposite of what our flesh and what the world wants. God wants to do just the opposite in us. He wants to produce a group of people who are dependent upon him, who look to him, who seek him in everything and for everything. God is our father. We are his children. And you know what he delights in? He delights when you and I seek him for our daily needs, for our every need. That is why when the disciples first came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray, one of the very first things he taught them to pray was this, give us our day, give us this day our daily bread. Listen, God could meet your every need every day without you being involved in any way. That's the truth of the matter. This is the God we follow. God could meet your every need every day without you being involved in any way. But he chooses not to do that. He doesn't need your prayers to meet your needs. But he chooses to meet your needs through your prayers. Because in so doing, we learn something really incredible about the Lord. You know what we learn about the Lord? We learn that he is, say it with me, trustworthy. He is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. And it is a beautiful thing when a believer grows in his or her trust of the Lord. How many of you have ever seen a new believer when somebody literally is birthed into the Christian faith and they're alive and God is doing work in their life and every step they take, it's like, oh my gosh, God is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. They're just growing and understanding that this God that just saved them is trustworthy. Jeremiah 17, 7 says this, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. It's an incredible verse, folks. Blessed is the man and woman who understands that God can be trusted at all times and in all ways. And folks, this is one of the key reasons you pray, because you will be blessed as your trust in God deepens, as God moves in response to your prayers. There have been so many times in my my life where I've sought God in prayer and he has come through. And each time my faith is deepened and strengthened. Sadly, many Christians only seek God in prayer as a, you ready? As a last resort. We've all done this, right? Last resort prayers. I know you do this. You know why? Because I do it all the time. And if I do it, I know you do it. So don't judge me. I know what you're all thinking. How many of you have ever done a last resort prayer? And you don't even do it intentionally, do you? You just get going on a project. You get going on something. You got something going on in your life and you get to it. You get busy. But before you know it, you realize, I haven't lifted this to the Lord. I haven't prayed to the Lord. And when everything kind of is running its course and nothing's getting done, you're like, oh my gosh, I better pray about this. And so as a last resort, we go to the Lord and we lift to him the things that we need. You know what happens when you seek God as a last resort? You know. What happens when you seek God as a last resort is you lose, and I lose. We lose on a thousand different levels, but perhaps one of the biggest ways in which you and I lose is that we don't get the blessing that comes from trusting God. Blessed is the man and woman who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. That's incredible. It's one of the greatest promises in the Bible. There is a blessing that comes from those who trust in God. Listen, folks, there is not a blessing that comes from trusting in this world or in the government or in your finances or in your pension or in your family or in a loved one. There is a blessing, a special blessing, however, that comes from the man or woman who trusts in the Lord. You miss the blessing that comes when you go to the Lord as a last resort. You miss the blessing that comes from God providing for you in his way and according to his will and according to his good timing. Again, our flesh wants just the opposite. We want things our way and according to our will and according to our timing, right? God, give me what I want. Give it to me now. Hurry. No, there's no blessing in that. But the blessing comes when we seek God in prayer and we wait upon him and we trust that he will provide what it is we need when we need it. By the way, do you remember how God fed the Israelites as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years? Remember how he fed them? What did he feed them with? He fed them with manna, right? Right. And I'm confident one of the very first things they did when they got that manna was made manna bread, right? They didn't have bananas, so they would have made banana bread. So they made banana bread. I'm sorry. Christian jokes are hard to come by. So when I got one, I got to use it. You'll have to forgive me. But here's what's interesting about what God told them to do. Listen to this. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. Now, let me ask you a question. Why did God only want them to collect enough bread for one day? Yeah. I mean, he, he could have said collect enough for two days or a week or a month or a year. But God didn't do that. He says, just collect enough bread for one day. Why? That he may test them. He wanted to see if they would be a humble, dependent people that came to him on a daily basis, looking to God to provide for them, looking and growing in their understanding that God is trustworthy. If he provided bread today, he'll provide bread tomorrow. God is trustworthy. This is what he wanted them to know. And folks, that is the very same thing that God wants to produce in you and me. He wants to produce a humble, dependent people that come to God daily, every day in prayer saying, God, Give us this day our daily bread and realizing that God is just as faithful and just as trustworthy as he was as he is today as he was yesterday. God is trustworthy and he wants you to know that and he wants me to know that. Listen, I can be told that God is trustworthy and I can read about God being trustworthy. But it is an entirely different thing when you experience that for yourself. Wouldn't you agree? Each of us have stories in our lives, testimonies in our lives, where we have sought God in prayer, lifting to him our needs for the day, and he met those needs, and we knew right then and there, God is trustworthy. I can trust him each and every day. Just like I trusted him yesterday, I can trust him today, and I will trust him again tomorrow. See, this is why God wants you to pray. One of the big reasons he wants you to pray is so that you know that he can be trusted. But listen, God's trustworthiness isn't the only attribute that we come to appreciate more and more as we seek God in prayer. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Let me take you to another verse. This is what this verse says. Matthew 7, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks for bread, give us this day our daily bread, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So as you seek God in prayer, as I seek God in prayer, and we ask him to meet our needs, we discover something incredible about him. Not only is he incredibly trustworthy, but we also learn of his incredible, say it with me, goodness he's trustworthy and he's good that's the whole point of Matthew chapter 7 if fallen sinful men know how to give good gifts to their children how much more will our father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him God is good all the time and all the time God is good It's exactly what James talks about, by the way. James was a half-brother of Jesus, and he said this, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Listen, we all, again, just as with God's trustworthiness, we all have testimonies of when we have sought God in prayer and we've listed, lifted to him our prayer requests and we have waited upon him and God met those needs. And we found ourselves in that moment saying, God, you are good. You are good. See, this is one of the reasons that God wants us to pray. He wants us to know that he is trustworthy. He doesn't want you to just read about it. He doesn't want you to just hear the testimonies of other people proclaiming his goodness and his trustworthiness. He wants you to know it for yourself. And one of the primary ways you are gonna know it for yourself is as you seek God in prayer. Psalm 34, eight says this, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Let me ask you a question. How do you taste the Lord? I wanna know. Let me tell you. Let me tell you one way that you taste the Lord. You taste the Lord through prayer. When you seek him in prayer, and you lift your requests to him, and he meets those needs, you taste and see that God is good. God, as I seek you, and as I lift my requests to you, and you meet those needs according to your will, and according to your way, and according to your timing, I know this about you, God. You are good. Charles Spurgeon was quoted as saying, to pray is to enter the treasure house of God, and to gather riches out of an inexhaustible storehouse. Folks, you aren't just coming to a God that's kind of good. You are coming to a God that is abundantly good. And it is his desire to shower his children with good gifts. And don't get me wrong. I'm not portraying God as a vending machine in the sky, just ready to give you whatever you want. Psalm 34, verse 6, I think it is. It was one of the very first verses I learned. It says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart take delight in the Lord. As you delight yourself in the Lord, you are going to lift prayer requests to the Lord that are pleasing to the Lord. And he is going to give you the desires of your heart. And folks, he is drawing from an inexhaustible storehouse because God himself is an inexhaustible storehouse. Amen. God delights in providing for his children. It is one of the ways that he displays his goodness to you. So if I can ask you a question, when was the last time you experienced the goodness of God in your own life? Or are all the stories of God's goodness that you're hearing other people's stories? Folks, those stories can be your stories if you seek him in prayer. He bids you, come, seek me, knock. Seek, knock. And I will will be there. And I will give good gifts out of the, the abundance of who I am. But here's the deal, if we never seek him or never ask of him or never wait upon him, we miss out on the goodness that comes from him. God's goodness, by the way, is an attribute that is talked about often in Scripture. First Chronicles 16, 34 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Say it with me. For He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 25, 8. Good and upright is the Lord. Psalm 145 says this. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. Not just some goodness, abundant goodness. And perhaps you're here today and you're struggling. Is God really good? Because I don't feel like God's all that good to me or has been all that good to me. God's not just good to you. His goodness is described with the word abundant. It is abundant goodness that we get to come and tap into as Christians when we seek him in prayer. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing a, and, and sing aloud of your righteousness. And then just a few verses later, it says, The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. You know what's interesting about this verse right here? The Lord is good to all. That means he is good to believers and non-believers. He is. God causes his sun to shine on the, the righteous and the unrighteous, right? and he causes his rain to fall on the just and the unjust. God is good to all. Just by being born into this world, you get to experience God's goodness. But the true depths of God's goodness can only be known by believers as they seek him in prayer. You have access to experience something about God that the rest of the world can't. The rest of the world knows of his goodness, but you can experience it on a much deeper level. His abundant goodness is yours if you'll seek him in prayer. By the way, after God had miraculously brought the Israelites back from their Babylonian captivity, remember Jeremiah said, you're going to go off into captivity for 70 years. And then after 70 years, God will bring you back. God brought the Israelites back after their 70 year captivity in the Old Testament in Babylon. And you want to know what the very first thing the Israelites said and did when they got back? Here's what it says. Look at what it says. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, quote, for he is good. He is good and his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But as I stated, when it comes to God's trustworthiness, If we never seek him or ask of him or wait upon him, we miss out on the goodness that comes from him. God is trustworthy and he is good and he wants you to know it. He wants you to know it. He doesn't want you to just read about it. He doesn't want you to hear the testimonies of other people. He wants you to experience that for yourself. But folks, you must seek him. You must come to him. You must pursue him and run after him. And you do this as you seek the Lord in prayer. By the way, one of the most famous psalms in all the Bible is Psalm 23. And that psalm begins by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Do you want to know one of the most incredible benefits that comes with having the Lord as your shepherd? Here it is. Surely goodness, just a few verses later, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. Listen, folks, if I told you that I knew the secret to having a life marked by continual goodness, would you want to know what it is? Would you want to know what that secret is? Of course you would. You'd be dying to know. But the fact of the matter is, folks, there is no secret. A life marked by continual goodness comes with knowing the one true shepherd and seeking the one true shepherd and walking and talking with the one true shepherd. The more that you draw close to the Lord, the more that his Abundant goodness is going to be showered upon you in your life. It's yours for the taking if you'll seek it. It's yours for the taking if you'll ask for it. If you come before the Lord in humble, dependent prayer every day, you will find a couple very important things. He is trustworthy and he is oh so good. good. Listen, again, I said I can be told that God is good. I can be told that God is good, but I want to know that God is good. And one of the ways that I will know that God is good is when I experience it for myself. But folks, if I do not take God upon that offer to seek and to knock and to pursue and to pray, to come boldly before his throne of grace with confidence, then I don't get to know that he is trustworthy. I don't get to know his goodness. Other people will tell me about it. I will read about it. It's all over the pages of the Bible. But listen, I don't want just that. I want to know it for myself. Now, time does not permit me from talking about all the different attributes of God that we will experience as we seek him in prayer, when we are faithful in seeking him in prayer. But there is one more really important characteristic of of God that I've got to mention this morning because it's just that important. And this might be the one characteristic that everyone in this room needs the most. Listen, if you are going to seek God in consistent prayer for no other reason than to experience this particular attribute, I would not blame you. You want to know what that attribute is? It's right here. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Our God is trustworthy. Our God is good. And our God is also to, when we talk about who our God is, he is a God of peace. He is a God of peace. This, without a doubt, is one of the greatest benefits in all the Bible associated with being a person of prayer. There are many benefits that come with being a person of prayer. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. Why does God ask you to pray? So that you seek him and you trust him and you're blessed in that. That's a wonderful promise. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You want to know another reason, another benefit that comes with seeking God in prayer? He is the giver of good gifts. But here's another benefit of seeking God in prayer. He is a God of peace. In a world full of trouble, chaos, distress, and continual anxiety, prayer offers us access to perhaps the most valuable resource known to man, peace. Peace. You know what? That's coming from people who live in the first world, by the way. You and I live in the first world. We're at the top of the heap. We have it better than everyone else, and we would all still agree that we live in a world full of all sorts of trouble, all sorts of grief, all sorts of chaos. But prayer offers us access to an aspect of God that the world is dying for. Now, it's important to know that there is a peace that the world offers you. As a matter of fact, Jesus talked about that. He said this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Here's what you need to know about the peace that the world offers. It's a knockoff version that is not that good and it doesn't last. It is a knockoff version that is not that good and it does not last. But the peace that comes from God surpasses all understanding. And the Bible says it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The very thing that you want to do, guard yourself. I'm going to guard my heart. You do not have to guard your heart. You seek God in prayer and let his peace guard your heart. Amen? His peace will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. God's peace protects us when anxious and fearful thoughts assail us. But only as we seek him in prayer. So we seek Him in prayer. We see that God is trustworthy. We see that He is good. But we also tap into this wonderful resource called peace. And it surpasses all understanding. It guards our hearts and our minds. Isaiah 26.3 says this. You keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. Let me ask you a question. How do you keep your mind stayed on Jesus? Do you want to know one of the ways that you keep your mind stayed on Jesus? Through prayer. Through prayer. We are perhaps no more focused upon the Lord than when we engage the Lord in prayer. In prayer, we literally engage the living God one-on-one, face-to-face. Most of us would do anything to have access to a senator or a president for five minutes. We would be honored. we, We wouldn't believe the opportunity. Folks, you have access to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords whenever you want. You can go boldly before the throne of grace with confidence seeking him. Every day, for yourself experiencing his trustworthiness in your life, his goodness in your life, his peace in your life. And I could go on and on and on about all the other promises and benefits that come from the scriptures and his promise to those who seek him in prayer. In prayer, we literally go right before the throne of God itself. Now, I want you to notice, it's a perfect peace. It's a perfect peace. Just like it is an abundant goodness. It's a perfect peace. Folks, a perfect peace only comes from a perfect God. Like I said, the peace that the world offers you is a knockoff version. It is not that good and it won't last. But you have what the world does not have, the ability to tap into perfect peace. And there's only one place that you'll find it, and that is in a perfect God, and it will primarily come through one means, prayer. That's how you'll get it. That's how you access it. It is not the only way you get it as you read his word, as you fellowship, as you keep in step with the spirit. But one of the primary ways that you will access the peace of God is through prayer. But as I said before, if we never seek him or ask of him or wait upon him, we miss out on the peace that comes from him. Life is too short to miss out on that peace. Wouldn't you agree? Life is just way too short to miss out on that. There's way too many benefits that come as we seek God in prayer. His trustworthiness, his goodness, his peace, his love, his joy. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Exodus thirty-three eleven says this. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. You know, we read a verse like this, and you know what we think? We think, I would do anything to be in Moses' shoes to where I could literally go before God and speak to him as one speaks to a friend. Guess what? The access that Moses had to God under the old covenant is the same access that you and I have under the new covenant. Check that. The access that you and I have under the new covenant is greater than even what this verse says. You have greater access to God than Moses ever did. Moses had to seek God at specific times and specific places. You and I can come before the throne of God Whenever we want, seeking the God who created the universe, tapping into his wonderful attributes. And by the way, we don't just seek God for the gifts that he gives. He gives good gifts. But we tap into God because we experience his goodness and his trustworthiness and his peace. If the gifts that God gives are good, how much greater is the one who gives the gifts? So we seek God because he is God. We want to experience God for ourselves. And folks, we're only going to experience God in that way when we are faithful in seeking him in prayer. The days of listening to other people's testimonies about God's trustworthiness, goodness, and peace, and so on, need to be over. Those testimonies need to be my testimonies. The wise man, the wise woman, understands that prayer is a glorious gift from God to his children, a gift that literally opens up the doors of heaven and ushers us into the presence of God himself. So if I may be so bold, if I can finish with a question today, are you ready to experience firsthand more of God's presence as you seek him in prayer this week? Are you ready to make that commitment to say, Lord, I'm gonna seek you. I'm gonna seek your face. As one talks to a friend, Father, I'm going to come in your presence and I'm going to seek you. I got news for you. When you do, you will be blessed. I got news for you. When you do, you will know that God is good. I got news for you. You are going to tap into a perfect peace that you cannot find anywhere in the world. And this is just the tip of the iceberg of, for what you will experience when you seek God in prayer. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you this day. And God, we are reminded that you could take care of us and meet our every need every day without us being involved. But Lord, it is your desire that we be a people who seek you so that we may know more about you. Father, we come before you this day seeking you. And I pray, God, that this week as they seek you in prayer that they would know that you can be trusted at all times and in all ways. And Father, I pray that they would be blessed as they grow in this knowledge. There are others in here, Father, who need to know of your goodness this week. God, I pray that you, God, would shower your abundant goodness on those who need it. And God, there are many in here who need to know of your peace this week. God, we come before you seeking you that we may know you more. In the quietness of your heart, just spend a moment in private prayer. Seek God. Talk to Him as you talk to a friend. Lift to the Lord your prayer requests, your concerns, your worries, your anxieties, whatever it might be. Bring them to the Lord, lay them at His feet. Lord, life is just way too short not to be in your presence, to be experiencing your presence in our lives. May we be a people, God, who seek you always, who talk to you always, who are constantly praying to you, exalting you, worshiping you. May we be a people, Father, at the end of our lives that can be said that we were a people of prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you as we go now. We thank you for the access that we have through your son, Jesus Christ. We commit ourselves, God, to seek you this week in prayer. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And everybody said with me, amen.
4: of what they think you're like but I You
0: This is for those of you that would like to raise your children instilling God's values and His words into their lives. Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries can send you CDs of our children's program. The program includes Let's Read the Bible, Praise Time, Pray Time, and Story Time. If any of you are interested in the program, please contact the office or email us to receive the CD. I hope that this program can spread out through our English-speaking children. Our office number is 602-866-8999. And email address is heartandsoul.org at gmail.com. Coming up next is Refining Faith. Refining Faith
5: Hello Heart and Soul Gospel Ministry listeners. It's a Sharon Lee from Refining Faith. Have you heard of a Wilderness School? I often hear that each of us must go through a period of time in the wilderness that believers must graduate from the Wilderness School to become a stronger believer. There are times in our Christian life after we have accepted Jesus as our Savior and try to live as God's children where we must walk through a time in the wilderness. Some people have gone through their time in the wilderness school long and hard. They are the people of Israel in the book of Exodus. They had to live in the wilderness for 40 years and go through God's training. The people of Israel were saved during the Passover judgment were released from the captivity and came out of Egypt by the grace of God. But what caused them to go through the training in the wilderness? Let's start by looking at their characters. The people of Israel saw the grace of God with their own eyes and were protected from the angel of death as he passed over their homes. They also received vast wealth from Pharaoh and came out of Egypt without any resistance. In Exodus 13, verses 21 and 22, God said to the people of Israel who were freed from the captivity of Egypt by His power that He will go before them and lead them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. What do you think the people of Israel felt like? Wouldn't you think that They felt like they owned the world. Don't you think their faith in God would have become stronger since they were being led under His protection to the land that He promised to their ancestor Abraham long ago without having to put up with any fights and being freed from the place where they lived as slaves for many generations? But it seems like their faith was not as strong as we expected. In Exodus 14, they saw Egyptian soldiers who were chasing them. They blamed Moses and said in the later half of Exodus fourteen twelve, that, For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Despite having experienced the awesome grace and power of God, when they saw the Egyptian soldiers who followed them, they became terrified and blamed Moses for making the situation worse. They were saying their past way of life was much better. Because that was how their character was, God needed to train them to rely, trust, and follow completely Him and only Him. Instead of punishing the people of Israel who resented Him, God revealed that He their salvation through the miracle of parting the Red Sea saving them once again and by destroying the Egyptian soldiers. That's how they arrived at the wilderness and God trained each and every one of them. He made them thirsty first. We all know that it is very hard in the desert. The people of Israel went into the wilderness of a They walked for three days there but couldn't find any water. And the only water they found was undrinkable. How do you think they reacted when they found out that the water was bitter and was not drinkable? Perhaps it is in situations like this when our true personalities are revealed. There may have been some who threw water balls on the ground out of anger and some who cursed. There also must have been many people who resented Moses. Even though the people of Israel resented Moses, God gave Moses instructions so they could drink the water, and in the latter half of the verse 25 and verse 26 from the book of Exodus chapter 15, we read, There he made for them a statute and regulations, and there he tested them. And he said, If you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight and give ear to His commandments, and keep all His statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians. For I, the Lord, am your healer." God said He tested them. He tested them to be obedient, be righteous, listen to His commandments, and keep His statutes. Here the word test is Nisa in Hebrew which means to test, or to prove. Afterward, God even made the people of Israel go hungry. It was to test whether they would obey the law or not, as said in Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. But in verse 3, it says the hungry people of Israel longed for the times when they were sitting next to a meat kiln in the land of Egypt, and when they were full with the bread. And here again, the Hebrew word Nisa is used. Why do you think God tested them? Why do you think God had to train his own people of Israel again with his hands, those who had suffered as slaves in Egypt? God told us the reason for that in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verses 2 through 6. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these forty years, that He might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. Thus, you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you, just as man disciplines his Son. Therefore, You shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in His ways and to fear Him. God tested the people of Israel to see if they were keeping His commandments and He made them thirsty and hungry to teach them that they had to live by His words, not by bread alone or their own way of thinking. They were disciplined in such a way so they would keep the commandments of God, Jehovah, follow His way, and fear Him. These are the virtues that the people of God's kingdom must have. We have a time in the wilderness that is slated for each of us. Our safety and peace can be broken. We can become thirsty. We can become hungry. And the plans we make can fail miserably. A lot of things can happen in our lives. But we must realize each time these things happen, He is allowing them to happen so that we do not live on bread alone, depending on our own wisdom, but we keep His commandments, follow His way, and fear Him. By doing so, we will be trained not to see the situations or the environments any other way, but only see Him. God will surely shape His people in such a way He didn't even spare His Son to make us His children. We must remember that our Lord, who always gives us grace no matter the situation, to trust in Him and persevere. Until next time, God bless you all.
6: for God.